Welcome to, to today's CIT Tech for Business podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Anne and Ashley and the marketing team, Kelsey and Tara, to discuss recognizing and reporting phishing. We're going to kick it off with just saying hi, letting us know by your voice who you are, and then answering today's lovely iceberg question, or icebreaker, iceberg, icebreaker. It's Monday here while we're recording. I'm awake, I swear. What was your favorite childhood or still adulthood cartoon? I'll go first. I'm Kelsey. I'm a member of the marketing team, and my favorite had to be Scooby-Doo, which as an adult, I did not realize didn't run for that many seasons because I felt like I watched it my entire childhood. You could rewatch it in a weekend. What about you, Tara? As Kelsey said, my name is Tara. I'm also part of the marketing team. And by far, I have to say the Flintstones. I adored Pebbles and Bam Bam all the way. Um, but Ashley, what about you? Um, I'm Ashley. I'm um, a member of the security team, cybersecurity analyst. And I would say my favorite cartoon as a kid was probably Animaniacs. I remember going, getting home from school every day and watching that show. And I've watched it now as an adult and I've seen some more um, adult humor that I definitely missed as a child. Um, what about you, Anne? I was going to say Animaniacs for sure. Hi, I'm Anne. <laughs> also on the security team, um, I do governance, risk, and compliance. But um, Animaniacs, absolutely. I feel like it's similar to Shrek, is it like a precursor that it was absolutely hilarious as a kid. And now watching it again, I'm like, oh my gosh, there is all mm -hmm. this fun stuff for entertainment of adults and kids alike. But I also used to come home religiously to watch DuckTales. Mm. DuckTales. Because it was after school. Yep. Mm -hmm. So randomly we, get that theme song stuck in my head sometimes. Yep. Yeah, now I was just going to say, I was like, exactly. now it's going to be stuck in my head yeah. all day long. And I'm going to be like, mm -hmm, I won't sing it. Let's just say I'm not a singer, but no, I don't, I don't feel and that. Animaniacs yet. was also like, is it Simpsons that had a different intro every time um, their, their song would even change? Um, I don't remember. I remember like Pinky and the Brain was like right on after that. I know that their intros I think would sometimes change. But that was a long time ago. So <laughs> right. And now they just skip all intros after you watch the first episode because you're watching 30 in a row. So yep. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Well, awesome. Well, kind of getting back to the topic on hand today, we're going to talk about fishing. Why don't we just kick it off with what is fishing? Um, I can give a, a little brief description. Um, so phishing is a type of um, what's known as social engineering, which is essentially um, a tactic that's used by cyber attackers, malicious actors um, who are attempting to get information from individuals, organizations, um, essentially by tricking them into doing something um, that they if they knew what was going on, they wouldn't do by clicking on a link, opening an attachment, um, giving out certain information, sensitive information, and that is done via email. There are other types of social engineering, like phishing, which is via phone, smishing, which is via text message, um, different things like that. But that's just sort of a general broad overview. So. Awesome. And just to clarify, too, we're talking right pH phishing. And if anybody sees trolls, it's like the pH fat. It's, yeah, 
<laughs> that's that's how we're talking but yeah the smishing is an interesting point and anything to add on to that and and also like the band and the ben and jerry's p-h-i-s-h <laughs> <laughs> which are they slightly make things more memorable. associated and memorable <laughs> to <laughs> other more positive things i i don't have much to add it's it's really a, a tactic that uh uh, nefarious actor uses to elicit information access or gain access that kind of thing so it's really a dovetail into what Ashley said awesome awesome and I know that within cybersecurity right that we have all of these stats all of these different things of kind of why are we even talking about it because we live in a world right where I'm sure both of you are like yeah that's what phishing is and we deal with it every single day but is it common for people to know what phishing is if you go outside of the technology world? Um, I think that the term in and of itself is probably not as widely known. I mean, everyone at this point will have received some kind of phishing email, text message, phone call. Um, it's very, very, very common. People don't necessarily know it as that term. Um, but they would certainly, once you explain to them what the term is, be like, oh, yeah, I've totally gotten those before. So, for sure. So, you mean when they're... one generation above us, maybe, I'm I'm the oldest of the group, but one generation, I think, would just be, call it scam emails or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It, it just yeah. happens to have a term now that mm -hmm. uh, makes a lot more sense when you think about what it relates to. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That makes perfect sense. So when they call on your extended warranty for your car. <laughs> yes. Essentially that in email form, which yes, I still scam, but we're yes. focusing more on the email, text message, those sides of things. Mm -hmm. With that, when we're talking about how you recognize it, what are some of the red flags? How would you notice that something might be phishing? Um, so anytime you receive an email, whether it's to your company email address or your personal, um, it's always really important to stop, take a breath, and actually like review what it is that you're looking at. Um, because what people who use phishing as a tactic rely on is the quick click, the, you know, oh yeah, this email is totally legitimate, even though I've only looked at it for two seconds. Let me click on that link. Let me open that attachment. They want you to make that split second decision and not take a moment, look at what you're actually clicking on. Um, so when you slow down and take a look at it, there's several things um, that you're gonna wanna look out for. Um, who sent you the email? Are you expecting an email from that person? Do you know that person? Um, is the email address that you're receiving the email from actually correct? So one thing that um, cyber attackers will do is something called typo squatting. So they'll purchase a domain, an email domain that looks very, very, very similar to a legitimate domain. Think of like, Microsoft.com, but rather than being Microsoft, the O is replaced with a zero. So it looks very similar to Microsoft, but obviously is not. So then they'll send emails from that domain with the expectation that people are not going to look at it that closely. And they're going to 
assume it's from Microsoft and open whatever um, is included in the email. So looking for things like that, um, looking for things like display name spoofing, um, which essentially is like if I were to go to um, and open a, a Gmail, a Google Mail account, um, and just have some random email address. But I can give it a display name. I can say that my name is, um, you know, Joe Biden. And then I send out an email. And if the actual email address is Gmail, but the display name when it shows up in your email inbox will say Joe Biden. So unless you look at that email address, you're going to assume that this email is from this person that's claiming to be. So looking for things like that. Um, and then even if the email address is legitimate, that doesn't automatically mean that it's a legitimate email because people can get hacked. Their email accounts can get hacked, can be used um, to send out emails, to send out phishing emails to contacts, to people that um, these malicious actors who essentially like sit on these accounts and just review everything that comes in. Um, you know, they're looking for information that they can then use to send out these phishing emails. Um, so, you know, if you're receiving an email like that, are you expecting it from that person? Is it something that you would normally receive from them? Um, and if it's not, you know, rather than emailing them back and being like, is this legitimate? Call up and be like, hey, is that actually from you? Because obviously if someone has access to a, um, an email account maliciously, they're just going to respond back, yeah, this is totally legitimate. So not super helpful to just email them right back. So. And I would add most companies that would, uh, one of the, the key pieces is our, let me retract a little bit. Legitimate emails won't typically ask for sensitive information by email. So a bank or will have a resource for a secure link for you to access your account. They're not going to say, hey, what's your social security number or or what's your key? Um, and a lot of companies will even add that in their legitimate emails to say, we will never ask for this. Mm -hmm. So uh, everybody is kind of trying to combat this, this phenomena <laughs> that, um, and they, the misspelling in the emails and the, the spoofing of, of domain is one, but Sometimes you'll see in the in the text if you need to go that far to see further um, that your name or something legitimate is misspelled. And I mean, I know I misspell stuff all the time, but it's it's a little bit further than that. Um, looking for and to be spelled with an e or some some derivative. It's really great to have a harder to spell or utilize name because it it's very often misdone and that can be a red flag as well. Um, there there are a lot of red flags, but to to add on to what Ashley said, always call, always, always just picking up the phone. I know we're all getting away from using the phone as a phone, <laughs> but to to follow up to say, hey, I'm expecting this or or 
I was expecting something similar. Did you send this? Um, one of the another piece that uh, to expand on what Ashley said is anything that demands urgent response. Absolutely red flag to me. I if if this needs like 30 seconds to respond, I I automatically pump the brakes. Let's whether it's a personal or company email, let's just take a breath here um, and and really look at what's being sent. I, there are always times that there will be something very um, urgent, but more often it's not going to come by email. I'm glad that you brought that up, and um, I was going to share. So over the weekend, I received my first text message that I knew that was phishing. And just from our internal training, we talk about the urgency, and I'll just kind of read this briefly, but it says it's from the U.S. Post, and you have a package that's been on hold for a long time. The package will be destroyed soon, so please update your address immediately is what I got. And I took a screenshot and I sent it to our director of cybersecurity to be like, hey, look at this. This is what I got. But it was interesting because the link was shortened. I know and a lot of times we're like, hey, hover over that link to kind of see what that address is. So I thought this was very interesting. But one of the things I'm an um, Apple user that they've done too is like the sender is not in your contact list. So you know it's like not somebody that you have saved. So I thought that was kind of interesting that you talked about urgency. I was like, I actually got something. I wanted to share it with the people <laughs> on the podcast. So it just kind of like fit right in. I'm like, I'm going to talk about this. So. Just I'm looking now, that. Tara. I think I got something similar. <laughs> really? Right, I was so. going to say, I think I got something, but I have to laugh. Your package will be destroyed. And I'm like, yeah. Hopefully wow, it's not but, anything fun. <laughs> but I think that's an interesting point when we're talking about urgency, right, is even the phishing tests that we do internally or things that we've gotten. There always seemed to be that little bit of extreme that, yeah, it's like, oh, you have 30 seconds. But do we have other examples of things that we've seen that we're like, yeah, that's clearly phishing. That's what that is. Because I know off the top of my head, right, I get PayPal spoofs all the time, Apple account spoofs to my non-Apple account, things like that. So if you ever read like a social engineering book um, or even I guess um, books on like the psychology of influence, they they kind of like walk through some of the broad categories that um, or tactics, I guess, that can be used to influence people. And a lot of those are used by these um, malicious actors. And one of them um, is urgency, which kind of plays into the idea of scarcity. So something not being readily available or um, FOMO, as some people might like to put it, you know, fear of missing out. Um, so that's why you sometimes will get phishing emails saying, um, hey, we're giving away a free iPad, but there's only a couple left. Click here to go um, enter, things like that. Or you need to claim it within two hours or something like that. Um, also, um, authority is a big one. Um, so getting emails from you're purporting to be your CEO or your boss asking you to do certain things. Um, people establishing a relationship with you, so like a trust relationship, because you're more likely to do things um, for people that you like and people that you trust. So establishing that relationship um, 
and then asking you to do something that you probably wouldn't do for a stranger or something that you don't like. Um, even if it's just a relatively short interaction. Um, so sometimes in the very advanced phishing um, emails, a lot of times we'll start out with, I'm not even asking you to do anything. I'm just establishing a rapport with you and um, trying to essentially find something that we have in common so that you can feel like I'm a trustworthy person and we like the same things and are similar in some way. And then eventually asking them, hey, here's this document. Could you review it for me for whatever purpose? And then that's where they get you. So sometimes they're a little bit more drawn out with some of these more advanced um, phishing attacks. And these are usually for like high level executives or people that are more difficult to get to otherwise. Um, there's some other ones as well, but um, those sort of um, spheres of influence or um, areas of influence um, tactics are used quite readily and quite successfully, which is obviously why they're used. Um, so just kind of an interesting part of it, looking at the psychology. Oh, definitely. And I think that that rounds it out quite nicely that we can go through all these examples of, oh, I got this one fishing and this is what it said. But those spheres are essentially what you're what you're looking for. Is there any other way beyond being like this looks fishy? This is fishy. I know Tara had mentioned, you know, oh, we're trying to hover over the links, but on your phone, there's not a hover. So you can actually hover, well, not hover. Um, you can look at the underlying URL of it's a little bit more dangerous to do it um, because it is, does actually involve like clicking on it. So what you do is you just hold it down and then a little pop up will show up and it'll show you the actual URL. But if you do it really quick, you're just clicking on it. So don't do that. So <laughs> you got to hold it down for at least a couple of seconds and then that should pop up and not actually open the link. But when in doubt, just delete it. I mean, if it's not something that's super important, just delete it. Um, I mean, you obviously like if it's a, an organization email, a corporate email, send it to your IT, send it to security. If you really want to like dig into it, there are things that you can do to um, take a look at like where the email is actually from. Um, so emails are essentially like digital mail in the sense that they have envelopes um, with address information. So the information that you see in the actual email doesn't really tell you much about the origin, like the, that information can be spoofed, can be whatever. So um, you can actually pull those, um, that envelope information is called uh, like email headers is what they're called. And you can take them from, from Outlook um, and go to, there's various different websites um, that have free tools that you can just plop those headers in. It'll analyze them for you and then it'll pull up essentially a bunch of information that it's pulling and, and it'll tell you where those emails actually originate. So the IP address. So if you do that, you think the email might be not legitimate. Um, you pull that information, you go and see like the actual IP address and you can do an IP lookup. And if it turns out that that email is coming from like Russia or that email or that IP has been flagged as 
malicious, that's a good indication um, that email itself is malicious. Um, you can do something similar with like attachments. You can like run them through like file analyzers. Um, VirusTotal is a good website that you can use for that. Um, so it'll just take a look at whatever is attached and tell you whether or not there's anything malicious um, within that document. So a couple of different ways to, you know, do things on your own. Obviously, like we talked about looking at grammar, spelling, um, the attachment of itself, um, if it has an attachment, because, um, you know, any type of attachment can really be used for phishing purposes. PDFs, Word documents, HTML files, whatever. Um, but sometimes you'll see documents that are appear to be one thing, but are actually something else. So as an example, um, if you took an image like of a the PDF symbol that shows up when you have a PDF file attached to an email, just like took a screenshot of it and then just put it in email at the top to kind of make it look like it's been attached and then embed a, uh, a URL in it. When I click on it, I'm not opening attachments, I'm actually just going out to um, a link. So if it doesn't quite look legitimate, I mean, like sort of trust your instincts on some of that. Like you you know what some of this stuff is supposed to look like, you see it all the time. So just being like, yeah, that look, doesn't quite look right to me. You're probably right. So just kind of trusting, um, your own intuition on some of that can really come in handy. So. Now, I know we always joke. We joked last week with Todd and Nate and Matthew about their tin hats, but essentially we're saying the same thing to be like, be a little paranoid. Yep. Even if you think it might be legit. And yes, there's all those great tools, but it'd be interesting to hear from you on the compliance side of the house of like, if it was a business and you're saying employees, hey, do this, what would be the best practice? What would you advise business owners and leaders to tell people to do? <laughs> Delete. <laughs> um, if it if it is legitimate, and I will say, I think one of the best tactics in this not is not just like the delete advice or the the call is to start on the front end. If you have resources that you can train with, whether that's simulated phishing just continually help your staff help themselves. The, the, so much of the training out right now gives everyone an opportunity to look at in a safe environment or even fail a phishing test in, in a way that it, it inspires further investigation for a, a layman user, a tech user, rather than a, a security minded person <laughs> I, just getting people to to get in that mindset to be suspicious um to do that double check and this kind of comes full circle to how ashley started in that take a pause just absolutely take a pause when when we're looking at these things that it it is it can be absolutely devastating to do that quick reaction. Um, we've all seen the or heard of of different companies wiring money as a result of a fish or and that's gone. That for us especially on a small to medium business, that that can be devastating. That can be just like 
shut down a business. So taking that few extra seconds is, is essentially a bargain, saving you money, right? <laughs> it's, it's in the long run, um, just taking that that big breath and, and trying to analyze a little bit, be being suspicious and, and really just going that extra mile to, does this even make sense? No, our, our Todd would not send me an email at at midnight unless it, there was probably a, like our our CISO and COO would not send an email then unless that required action, unless there was a call or something like that. Um, and then practice that if that makes sense. Don't don't be the person that's sending a, a email that's requiring immediate action or requesting immediate action without calling and don't don't be the problem yourself in in getting your emails <laughs> deleted by uh, by doing suspicious actions here click this link really fast no, <laughs> no don't do it so. i think that's my favorite advice so far just don't be suspicious yourself first of all yeah <laughs> that's good advice Love it. And I know that we're kind of getting down time. So lastly, the second part of this was our reporting phishing. When we say reporting phishing, I know we're like delete, 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 delete. What What is the reporting piece of phishing? What do we mean by that? Um, so there's some organizations use particular types of software that allow you to just click a button with an Outlook and report um, emails straight from there. Uh, no before is an example. Um, but depending on your organization, you may or may not have that. Um, so your organization may have certain um, processes set up that allow you to report that email. Um, the one thing that we generally say, though, is do not forward the email to random people in the organization and ask them if it's legitimate, unless that's like your actual process. But even forwarding the email itself, um, we talked about headers before. If I forward the email on to someone else, those headers essentially get messed up. So I can't like check the person who receives the email can't check the origin of that email because you forward it to them. You can save it as an attachment and then add the attachment to that email and then send it to them. And then they can look at it that way. Um, but yeah, when in doubt, delete it. I, I use the smelly sock analogy all the time in that we don't want to forward this. It's it's in that same vein of asking someone, you just smelled a really gross sock or whatever, asking someone else then to smell that sock and ensure that you're, it's still stinky probably <laughs> isn't the best method of validation. So we want to make sure it stays contained. You know, we'll put it in the laundry ourselves and, and call to see maybe if someone wants to check it out. <laughs> All I can think is Monsters Inc. The twenty three fourteen or whatever with the smelly sock. That's all that's oh, going yeah. in my brain now. But I'm like, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, nineteen. Yeah, that's great. Oh, hey, Kelsey, do you mind? I just had a quick question because um, I know Ashley and Ann have a hand and in internally what CIT employees are trained on, but. You know, how often are you guys testing us? Because I know I just got one this morning and I was, it's kind of like a fun game, you know, that we pause, like you talked about. I'm like, 
total fishing. I'm pushing the button and I get like the gold star for the day that I'm like, I didn't, I didn't fail <laughs> and I passed. But I think it's a good thing to note of like how often do you need to test employees? Cause like you had mentioned, that's where all this starts. We probably test more frequently than a lot of organizations. Um, there's actually more than one campaign set up. Um, so some of them are, we have a, sort of like a broad campaign that's targeted to everyone in the organization. And then we have individual little campaigns set up that are targeted specifically to your department. So that we have particular email templates that are used um, depending on what department you work in. Because obviously you're going to be working with different products, you know, um, in within different contexts, I guess, than um, other departments. Um, so the I believe the um, org wide one is every two weeks and the other ones are every week. Um, so it's it's quite frequent. And then if you fail one of them, then you are tested more frequently. So. I I think ours is speaks to the importance that we our, our frequency and scheduling it uh, speaks to the importance we hold on educating our employees and it I know we get a little bit of pushback from some and I I don't mind I I love hearing it how often are we even doing this not that's not how you phrased it at all Tara but we do we do get that but I I just think it the more the better. It it gives us more opportunity. Um, I know with some uh, oversight agencies, like in financial industries, um, are asking that some insurance applications are asking that of their organizations. How often are you doing this? And annually isn't a choice that on the application, or they want to see at least quarterly, but. Um, I think that's going to evolve as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Spoilers, looking forward to the future. And no, and I will say somebody that takes the test, when you do get the one wrong, it is horrible. And it was definitely when I was like on my phone, not paying attention. And I was like, should have slowed down. This is a life lesson. I now have a lot of empathy for anybody that clicks because that's when it happens. It's not when you're sitting on your computer paying attention. It's when you're on your phone at 10 p.m. at night being like, yeah, whatever. This is great. Click, click. And then you're like, oh, snap. So thank you for the hover over the link in your email on your yeah. phone. Now I'm like, just don't check it on your phone. Just don't do it. It's not worth it. Well, <laughs> I don't think people should like feel bad about clicking like, you know, anybody can fall for these emails. That's the thing. Some of them are just very well tailored. So, you know, don't feel guilty about it. Just like take it as a lesson. Remember what you've learned from, you know, that and doing the training and then, you know, just apply it going forward. That's all we're looking for. So keep on going. No. And yeah, I don't think, I don't think the user friction has been anything crazy. Even if we Not say, Hey, we've done it internally. I'm like, I don't feel like I look at my I feel like now I'm just like, oh, yeah, nope, that's probably fishing for somebody else. Oh, that's something else. And I'm like, I feel more confident instead of being like, am I just being paranoid? I'm like, I'm supposed to be paranoid. So yeah, <laughs> here we go. This is fine. I'm doing my job. Um, but Great. awesome. Thank you, guys. I know we're getting down on time here, but we just to recap, we covered what is fishing, pH fishing. I loved and it's like fish food, the Ben Jerry's. That'll be our nice positive reminder there. Um, we talked about all of the different red flags, all of the different, right? Um, Ashley, what did you call the different spheres? What are those technically termed? Um, I think they're like 
psychology, spheres of influence, areas of influence, something like that. I was like, there was an official term for these laws. I don't know if it's really official, but yeah, like, so the books usually talk specifically about influence and the, I don't know what the realms of influence, I'm not even sure what, what they use specifically, but something Some like scientific that. term. Yeah, we're, we'll look it up. We'll put a link. It'll be great. <laughs> and then obviously what you should do with those, don't forward, delete, have a process in place, test it's totally worth the user friction to save the amount of money that it would cost for just one person clicking one link. But if anybody has any additional questions for our lovely speakers today or anybody they've ever heard talk in the podcast, you can get a hold of us at info at cit-net.com or of course we're on the web cit-net.com backslash podcast. There's a lovely little form, not fishing, I swear, where you can submit a question and we will get that answered. But thank you, Anne. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Tara, for joining us today. And we'll be back next week with another Tech for Business podcast.